welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is julie peterson from old capital welcome julie Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. A little bit about Julie. With 30 years of real estate transaction experience, Julie Peterson does not just source funds. She consults with her clients to help solve their immediate needs. She works with all types of income producing real estate and at all levels of the capital stock. Julie's clients are real estate entrepreneurs. who are dependent on the many relationship they establish and the relationship with their capital provider is no different outside of work julie enjoys spending time with her husband four children and walter the dog with that julie would you like to add anything to your background no i think that is uh well you know i started when i was uh 22 was my first home that i purchased and it was in los angeles and i was determined to get into a property single family and uh i was a sales rep for a bicycle company and the the riots came to los angeles and quite a few of my property or my uh customers were looted and had to shut the door and so a lot of my business went down from there and so i had just purchased my house probably a year and a half prior and there was an opening up in northern california so instead of losing my house and losing my whole business i opted to go ahead and give over my property my single family house for $4000 to a friend and that was the quickest and easy way to get out of the deal and uh you know i took out a second on that and i finished paying her probably 10 years later and so you know there's the saying that you know everybody should be in real estate but you should also know some of the risks that go get involved so we were in quite a few transactions from there we went um to northern california i actually continued in selling bicycles at the time for a manufacturers as a manufacturers rep and did a lot of real estate on the side and and ended up buying a couple duplexes up there and buying another house and we doubled our money in 5 years in the bay area you know how things are up there we had a an agent that said you know what you're not going to you'll never be able to sell this for any more than what you are doing now and we said yeah thanks a lot we held on to it 5 years doubled our money and uh you know even from there it's probably tripled since we got out and we took the money and bought a multifamily in Chicago which i managed and did other transactions single family and did some LPs on the side and then moved out to to Colorado and as I continued to manage my properties a, a long distance and then went into California I decided about 5 years ago to bring my capital out of Chicago Chicago is a interesting market my experience was that you get capital you get monthly capital cash flow but you don't get it in appreciation so I moved it to a a different strategy here in California 
California and have some multifamilies here, which I just received a cash offer to get out of California. So it's been a very good run. Although, you know, what you're seeing is rent control that's coming in and infiltrating and really trying to take advantage of landlords. So I also am in about 1,500 uh, passive properties, units uh, passively, and um, looking to get into more of a GP position. You know, I'm in a, a very fortunate position as a lender because as you know, a lender is your largest partner in the deal. So we see the buyers, we see the sellers, we see so many different aspects of it. So I can get the pick of the litter as they say. So being uh, in real estate for as long as I have, I, I can recognize good deals and take advantage of those. So that's kind of where I my experience has been. Um, I've been with Old Capital for three years doing multifamily uh, financing, but we also get involved with storage and mobile home park, office, retail, industrial, and then the student and senior housing. We do about a billion dollars a year and there's only nine of us. So we do a lot of business. You know, we started it about 30 years ago, a little over 30 years in Texas. And in Texas, multifamily is huge as so many of us know. But I'm here to say that there is life outside of Texas in multifamily. So I spend a lot of time looking at deals in Phoenix, in Boise, and I actually seen some in Montana. I'm looking at a, a deal in Montana right now, storage there. We do stuff in, in Tennessee, in Utah, in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, Kansas City. Man, oh man, there's just so many great things going on that we are involved with, both from a, a debt side, but also as an equity side. So if we've got people that are looking to, you know, do a raise, but they don't want to raise it themselves. We also help with that. So we provide a lot for clients. And as I've said in past conversations that we are a relationship lender, we are looking for your business, not just one, two, we want to help you become multimillionaires. So that's a little bit about me. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. And you have vast experience in our lending side. So would you share some highlights in like over like each decade? So I would say that for me, when I got into multifamily, so that would have been about 20 years ago, actually, 20 years ago, got into multifamily and things were all being done on bank financing. So we didn't see the agency debt. And again, where I was looking, which was in the Midwest, we did it again, we were here in California, but we moved it to Chicago. We saw that, you know, there was opportunities and a lot of people were transferring, um, doing a lot of fix and flips, kind of those things, but longer hold. Then when we saw about 10 years ago, we saw this whole syndication model, if you you will. So, you know, back then, 20 years ago, only the real, real rich people were buying these apartment buildings. These people were in oil and gas. They were in the movies. They were high net worth individuals. 10 years ago, this syndication model that allowed you and I, who had 25, 50, 100, 200,000 to become owners of properties larger than your, you know, five unit, 10, 20 unit buildings and really take advantage of the tax benefits. 
debts. Now, at that time, we also saw not only banks, you know, getting into this, their debt was a little bit shorter, you know, your five years and shorter amortization, maybe even 15 year amortization and the agencies. So Fannie and Freddie looked at this and said, hey, this may be an opportunity uh, opportunity for us because now we can do non-recourse debt, which is a huge game changer, right? Because now you can pool all of these folks and you can have longer term debt. We're talking, you know, 12 years in some cases. And also the tax benefits came about. So with the bonus depreciation, what an amazing advantage this came 10 years ago. And so we are seeing in the last 10 years that this model is, you know, three to five years hold. This is what it was, three to five years hold. And then do your rehab We've got interest only, which was amazing. You don't get that in bank financing. You get the longer 30-year amortization. And then at five years, three or five years after you've done this rehab component, you would then be able to get your investors out. And then you hold that asset or you sell it. A lot of the syndication model would say five years, we're out. The long-term hold, you know, as we saw more of the syndication model, wasn't necessarily the longer term hold. And now as we're getting into COVID, we are seeing a lot more longer holds. Okay. So we cut back on the IO. And when we first got into COVID, interest rates went up. We've seen them come down significantly. And, you know, during this COVID, they took put the brakes on, really. I mean, we knew it wasn't a 2008 crisis like it was. It was much more of a health crisis. And so in to pre Reserve any possibility of a loss. They threw up the interest rates to make sure that these banks were not were going to not be in trouble. So now what we're seeing COVID, and you know we we talk a, a lot about this, and I'm sure your listeners have heard a lot about where we're having longer term holds, where it was three to five. Now we're looking at seven for a cash out, potentially a cash out or to sell because we're not seeing the appreciation as early as three years as we did before. So it's going to take you a little bit longer. You may have to sit in, may need to be a little bit more patient, but always keep in mind, you're looking for understanding of what your strategy is versus getting into a syndication, what their strategy is. And you want to make sure that those are married. I was in a, a recent transaction where the current owners were looking to fix and flip. So all of their investors were fix and flip. And those investors wanted to get out, you know, 18, 24 months. I mean, it's like a drug. You know, you, you double your money, you double your money, you double your money. And this syndicator said, oh, I think I'm going to change my model. I'm going to ch change my strategy, my business plan. And so what did they do? They told their investors, hey, I want to get a little bit different strategy. I want to have this go for 10 years or longer term hold, legacy asset, if you will. And the investor said, I'm not interested in that, that business plan. So we're working to move out the old capital stack and bring in the new capital stack. So that's been a challenge. That's why it's really, really important to know what your strategy is and what your investor, your syndicator's strategy is. And I, I would tell you, that not only did the interest rates have they come down with COVID, we are seeing now 80% loan to value. 
on a lot of the loans if they're in a top market or standard market. Now, as you know, as, as you learn more about how to underwrite deals, we underwrite deals based on the performance of the asset as well as the syndicators the group, the GP. So let's say of a whole, we're looking at 70, 75% coming from the, the performance of the asset. And then you've got 25, 30% coming from the syndicators. So let's say you've got a top market and people will call me all the time and say, hey, you know, I'm in a top market. How much leverage can I get? And of course, just like many other people, they'll say, well, it depends. The problem is we need to understand what the business plan is and what the GP's experience is. Really, really necessary and important when we're doing these agency loans that we've got three components. You've got, well, it's actually four. So of course, we're looking for 90 days of 90% occupancy. We're going to look for that. So when you're thinking about your business plan and what properties you want to be considering, always tell your broker, I want to do a stabilized asset at 90 and 90 days, 90% 90 days. Okay. That's considered stabilized. You also need to have net worth of the greater than the loan amount. So let's take, for example, you've got a $10 million loan on a deal. You need, I'm sorry, did I say 10 million? Yeah, 10 million. I usually say 1 million. So 10 million, I need 10 million in net worth greater than, so, you know, 10 million, 100. I'm going to need that in net worth. Now that can come from one person. It can come from five people, but always remember the more people you have in your deal, the less money you put in your pocket. So net worth greater than the loan amount. Next one is liquidity and that's post-close liquidity. So it's not money that you're going to be putting into the down payment which typically we're looking for about 10% of the GP, but 10% of the liquidity needs to be in cash or marketable securities. So it's not your 401ks, it's not your IRAs. It's in a account that you're going to send, show me the statement of that. Maybe it's a cash value of your insurance policy. So those are the last piece for agency debt. You're going to be looking at experience. So what does it mean by experience? We're talking about three to five multifamily properties that you have taken down with agency debt. Now, just recently, Freddie took away the exception. And the exception said that if you live 100 miles from the property and you put in a third-party property manager, then they would consider having you a, giving you a loan. Now that's changed. Over the last three weeks, that's changed. And so the guidelines now say that we're going to be looking at the sponsors that they all have, well, at least one person has three to five years of agency debt. You don't have that on bank lending. Bank lending is going to say, I need 25% of the GP. I'm going to need to use their balance sheet. And those they get your balance sheet gets hijacked, if you will. You're signing on the loan. Yes, you have an entity, you have an LLC, but you are taking your buying power, your purchasing power away when you use recourse debt. So I'm we do it, but I'm always trying to figure out a way that you can get into 
non-recourse debt. Yes, you're signing, but you're not signing your life away. You could literally, you could buy a, a property, 100 units on Tuesday, Wednesday, you buy a 50 unit, on Thursday, you buy a 100 unit, however many, and that scales. So why not use non-recourse where it's not holding your balance sheet hostage? So that's just kind of the overview of going 30 years over the span of what it looks look like in finance. Today, it is, it's more difficult. We're looking at who, what are the tenants? What is the tenant makeup? Is it more in hospitality? Is it military concentration? We're going to need to make sure from a lender standpoint that we are not too big in a certain field. Now, we can't discriminate. We're just going to try and figure that out. When we underwrite these deals, we are going to be asking, you know, who lives in your building? That wasn't the case before. Very interesting. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing and covering so many things. Thank you very much. Appreciate. Sure. And uh, would you share your best and worst experiences in lending side so far? Oh, yeah. You know what? I think I get the most pleasure out of helping new folks get into deals. And one of the greatest pleasures that I just had was uh, a deal that was in from Florida. And it was a refinance, actually. And this deal was complicated. These poor guys tried to buy this property and it got hit by a hurricane. So the original uh, owner had to fix it up. Well, they didn't do a good job fixing it. They had to go, they sold it on a bridge loan and a bridge loan takeout, meaning once they did the bridge, it took it out to a Freddie. And so they went back. It really keeps the bridge customer in the same, keeping their business then going to an agency debt. Well, the agency was not able to provide the same coverage and leverage as once I got a hold of it. I was able to look at it a little bit differently. Remember, we're a broker, so we can go and advise with many, many different lenders, dust lenders lenders that work specifically on agency debt or multifamily. And so we were able to provide these guys with more than we had originally quoted them. So I think we quoted them at, I don't know, 70, 72. We were able to get to 78. We also got an interest rate from 3.7 down to 3.59. So they were ecstatic. Their modeling, their sizing just was, super, you know, they were really excited. So so we had to get an understanding of the GP and the GP that was set up three years or a year and a half ago when the hurricane was different than what we saw moving forward. So this poor guy, he, when I talk about this guy, this is the, the guy who brought the net worth and liquidity. So he was the deal sponsor. He ha went into forbearance with his business. People changed, they changed the trust. The trust didn't have the money in it. They got hit with COVID. I mean, it was like, one calamity after the other. Four days, I think it was, before we were to close an evicted tenant. You remember, we're talking about 90% occupancy for 90 days. He moves out. You know, when do you hate when an evicted client moves out? That's not what you want. So, oh my goodness. We 
ended up, and, and the last part of this is that their maturity date on their bridge loan was on a Friday, the end of the month. So we had to, and that's a crazy time anyway, end of the month, people moving and businesses closing you know, their books. At any rate, we were able to close this deal lower than what we had thought, higher loan dollars, and they, they closed on their maturity date, which was amazing. So that's a really good, feel good kind of story. Makes me uh, love my job even further. Yeah, awesome. So would you get any of your worst experience? My worst experience? Uh, I would say that in COVID, that created a lot of concern and mayhem, quite frankly. And we had a, a client that was selling a property. We set up the debt on it and uh, the debt, they, they had to bring in more loan dollars and they were just going to be closing. And I think it was about 14 days. And so they had all their capital ready to go. And they were told, well, we're going to drop the loan dollars and we're going to raise the rate. Because again, this was right at COVID where we put in these protections. And, you know, we worked so hard. Again, we, there was a lot of juggling of information and concerns. And are we going to sell? And how do we get through the due diligence and people not wanting to get into the buildings? It was really crazy. And so, you know, walking away from that was a heartbreak. It was really tough. Off. These guys had worked. They were a new group. They had worked. I had worked with them for two years. And uh, that was really heartbreaking that we had to kind of push that aside. I followed up on that deal. And uh, unfortunately, you know, time went by and things changed and our guys moved on and went their separate ways. But it turns out a guy from California contacted this broker and said, I've got 36 million coming in. Um, I need to, to put it. He wasn't involved at all with multifamily. So he didn't have any experience, but he put down, you know, I think it was, I had heard it was like uh, 65% leverage. And, uh, you know, now he's a, the owner of that building. So that that is heartbreaking. It's hard to be working with groups that have been working so long together, trying to get into a deal, you know, and uh, losing it out of their control. Right. Okay. So uh, any one advice that impacted you, Julie? Any advice that I have, I would say the sooner you get into this, the better off. I'm in my early 50s. And while I've been in it for 30 years, I, I hate to look and say, oh, I should have, would have, could have. I always try and have a, a open mind to the decisions that I've made and stick with them. And But I have to say, in so many times I find myself wishing and wanting that I had been able to get into the syndication model, although it wasn't it wasn't in place back 20 years ago. I wish that I had gotten in or been able to get into it probably sooner than 10 years ago. That's the only thing I would say is get in, understand how to do the underwriting. Because whether you are an LP, a limited partner, or a GP on the deal, KP, a key principal, you have to understand understand the underwriting. What are the assumptions? What is the business plan? How are we going to get to that? And does it make sense for your strategy? Yeah, great advice. Thanks. Yeah, any books that impacted your life and what way? 
the one thing. I have read that probably four times. I listen to it. I go for walks. I keep coming back to this. The one thing. The one thing that drives you, drives me, that makes a difference. I really think that is a great book and everybody should read it. Not four times maybe, but get a sense of it. It's a really good refresher when you think, you know, what am I doing? What is my passion? What is that one thing? Yeah. It's by Gary Keller. Yes, Gary Keller. So how are you giving back to community, Julie? Actually, for a very long time, I have been at a, uh, a volunteer at our senior center. And I volunteer once a week. I provide the service of delivering the food to the group of seniors. And I have developed so many great relationships with these this demographic. It, again, is a really good, feel-good kind of relationship and what I do. It doesn't feel like a job. It really feels like I'm giving my heart to so many of these folks. Unfortunately, we've had to close down the senior center, but I do look forward to that one day that it shines down on my life. It's worth the, the hour, two hour commitment that I do. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. So how can listeners can connect with you? Great. Well, I am on Facebook and LinkedIn under Julie. Ann Peterson, P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N. My email address is jpeterson at oldcapitallending.com. My phone number is 972-833-2774. And I'm hoping that everybody who's listening will take advantage of the Old Capital Conference coming up in October, October 20th and 21st. This is a virtual event and it draws lots and lots of people. Now, again, it's virtual, so we'll, we'll see, but in the past, it's drawn seven to 800 people and these are the people that you want to do business with. There's LPs, there's GPs, there are brokers, there's PMs, everything you need. These people are coming to this, this conference. So I would take a look at it. Look under oldcapitalconference.com. It's something you don't want to miss. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. Thank you, Julie. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for the opportunity. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.